Well, it's good to be with you today. We sure appreciate that you've come out to join us this morning on this uh, Independence Weekend, and trust that as you leave today that you will be encouraged in hope. When Mark Carey brought up to uh, John Morrison and myself that he would like to take a pause from Romans this summer and do a focus on the church, he uh, outlined some passages that he would like to have us consider to be covered. And um, this was one of them today, and I volunteered on this particular passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And I'd like to have you turn in your Bibles there, if you would, 1 Thessalonians, obviously in the New Testament, one of Paul's epistles, and we'll focus our attention today on particularly chapter 5, verses 4 through 8. But I think the context is important for us to understand, so before we have prayer, I'd like to read this portion of scripture. Chapter 4, verse 13, begins with a very familiar passage to all of us as it relates to the coming of the Lord. And I'd like to share this morning that I realize that among Christians there are various views as it relates to biblical prophecy. And the important thing that I would like all of us to make sure that whatever view that we hold to, that we have the biblical support, that we make the scriptures themselves the very basis by which we believe. There's a lot of speculation that goes out today. There's a lot of books written by people who proclaim themselves as having superior knowledge to the rest. And we need to be careful about that particular strain of thinking. On the other hand, we also realize there are details in biblical prophecy that are not always easy to understand. And we do the best that we can in understanding them. And I'll share with you today what my personal view is on this passage. But I do hope that all of us realize the importance of knowing and looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and that we believe that it is imminent, that it can happen at any time. And in that note, I'd like to read verses 13 following in chapter 4 and then into chapter 5. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even though, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. The word caught up there is the Greek word arpazo. In Latin, it's rapturo, and that's why this event is often referred to by people as the rapture. It comes from the Latin term. It means to be snatched away or taken away. It shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord, therefore comfort one another with these words. But you, concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, chapter 5, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. The phrase day of the Lord, by the way, comes from the Old Testament. These are prophecies as related to the coming world judgment, worldwide judgment, referred to as the day of the Lord throughout the Old Testament scriptures. 
Now Paul utilizes this phrase, and he says that you are aware of the day of the Lord. Obviously he had trained them prior to this writing of this epistle when he was actually with them. And he says that you know about this day of the Lord, and it comes as a thief in the night. It comes at an unexpected time. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not of the darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night, but let those of of the day be sober and putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet of hope, of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation, or the word can mean deliverance, or translated as deliverance, or rescue, through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort one another, and edify one another, just as you are also doing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the opportunity for us to be together this morning, and now as we take moments to examine these things from your word, that you will guide us, give us understanding, but more importantly, that we can leave here with a greater sense of hope during the promises and according to the promises, built on the promises of your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Less than two months ago, Secretary of State Pompeo was meeting with the Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, and during the course of their discussions and press releases that came out and press conference, one thing that Prime Minister Netanyahu said more than one time is Israel's longing to have, and I quote, peace and security. The days that we're living in, not only with COVID-19, but also in light of all the uprisings and the riots, the protests that are taking place, those of us who are a little older on side of life reminds us of the 1960s. We talk about it with one another as we reminisce about those days when the country was going in a similar fashion with a lot of upheaval. There the issue was peace. We all use these two fingers to symbolize peace that we wanted in light of the Vietnam conflict and all the political upheaval that was taking place between Republicans and Democrats and the sexual revolution and much uh, breakdown of the family happened during those years. So in the 1960s, we were asking for peace, but it's 2020, and the daughter of our president sent out a tweet late Friday night and said this, please be safe. Responsible this holiday weekend. We celebrate the 4th of July. Follow the state and local guidelines to keep you and your loved ones safe. Well, all of us are aware that we have heard the word safe and safety hundreds if not thousands of times over the last several months. 
were concerned about being safe. Peace and safety is the cry of the human heart. Peace and safety is the cry of international leaders. And the Apostle Paul says that there is coming a day when people will be crying peace and safety, not because they're longing for it, we already do, we're crying for it now. They will be saying we have arrived at it. We have finally come to the place where we are now at peace and we are now safe. Everything looks good. Jesus said that just prior to his coming, people are going to be marrying and giving in marriage and feasting together. And we know that many weddings have had to be postponed or significantly changed during these last days because of COVID and social distancing. But just before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, that won't be the case. People will be believing somehow, some way, whether it's treaties that are signed or vaccines that are created, the world will finally feel that it's a secure place. And then Paul says, and sudden destruction will come upon them. Jesus said it will be like the days of Noah, when they were marrying and given in marriage, and all of a sudden the flood came and took them away in a matter of a day. Things can change very, very quickly. In our passage today, I'd like to focus on a few things related to the context of verses 4 through 8 of chapter 5, but go all the way back to chapter 1. And time doesn't allow me to go into every verse that I'm going to be referencing this morning, even in the book of 1 Thessalonians. So let me simply say this. Paul speaks in the very first chapter, in verse 10, that we will be delivered from the wrath to come. But the language and the grammar that he uses is futuristic, and we must remember that the term wrath can mean many different things. Mark is teaching us about the wrath of God in the book of Romans that deals with allowing people to experience the consequences of sin now. That's part of his wrath. We also know that there's an eternal punishment for those who do not believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life. But the wrath that he is speaking of in this context is the wrath to come because one of the things that the wrath can refer to in the Bible is the day of the Lord. It's the outpouring, it says, of his wrath in which all kinds of situations and phenomenon will take place for seven years in my understanding of the scriptures. The book of Revelation gives us the most detail of pestilence, natural catastrophes, murder, war, Elimination of huge portions of the population. Something that the world has not yet experienced to the degree that it will. And Paul assures believers that they will be saved or delivered or rescued from the wrath to come. In my understanding, the Apostle Paul is promising believers that you have a hope that that coming outpouring of his wrath on this earth, believers will be spared from that. And then he brings it up again in chapter 5, verse 9, when he says, For God did not appoint us, that is, believers, to wrath, but to obtain deliverance or rescue through our Lord Jesus Christ. But he had just outlined what that rescue is, is that when he departs from the third heaven into the clouds and calls us to be with him in what is often called the rapture. And that he has not appointed us to this coming wrath, the day of the Lord. And in between these two verses of promise, it's called an inclusio or bookends, everything in between that pertains to life now in light of the coming of Jesus Christ. One of my favorite songs that we sing here at Fellowship Bible Church 
is behold our king, seated on his throne. And I just picture him in the third heaven as he is sitting at the right hand of God on the throne. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool, God says in the Psalms. But Jesus teaches us that there's a day that the Father, only the Father knows the day, not even the Son knows the day, but the Father does, that he will command his Son, it's time. And at that moment, the Son will stand and he will make his departure out of the third heaven and go through the second, which I think is probably what you and I call outer space, into our present atmosphere. And in the clouds and the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God will sound and believers will ascend into the clouds to be with the Lord. The Bible says that the dead in Christ will go first. They are the ones that are believers but have gone before us, and we who are alive will go next. With the dead in Christ, their bodies will be resurrected to perfect bodies, bodies that can no longer get sick, no longer need even sleep, will not be susceptible to any form of death. Cancer will not be able to touch them. Diabetes will not be able to touch them. These are forever bodies. And then the Bible says that we who are alive when that event happens, our bodies will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. The scripture does not say we'll be raptured in the twinkling of an eye. It says our bodies will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. It's very possible the world may even be able to witness the ascension of many people going into the clouds to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Amos tells us that the whole seven years of the day of the Lord is darkness covers the earth. In other words, it's going to be a very dark time, and it seems to me that it's even speaking of that in terms of the physicality of darkness. If there's intense cloud cover, I don't know. It's a possibility, but Amos tells us that the day of the Lord is going to be a time in which darkness will be around the earth. This is an event, the arpazo, the snatching, the taking away. This is the promise of hope that we have. No matter what your particular views are on biblical prophecy, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is a basis of hope. It's the helmet of, our, of our, the hope that we put into our mindset. It's the helmet of salvation or the helmet of deliverance and rescue that sustains us in a difficult world. Now, what does Paul mean when he speaks about sleeping, when he says in verse 6 of chapter 5, let us not sleep? You see, earlier in chapter 4, he said, those who are sleeping in Jesus, and then he says, but let us not sleep. What's being said? That's a little confusing. That's a head-scratcher. Well, the answer to that comes about in understanding the two different terms for sleep that are used in this passage. The English version translates all as one word, sleep. But in Greek, there are two distinct words used. In chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, speaking of those believers who have died, that they are now sleeping, is the Greek word koimao. Jesus uses the word koimao, and he speaks of Lazarus, who had died, and then he was going to raise him from the dead. But while he was still in the tomb, Jesus said he was sleeping. Jairus' daughter was sleeping. My mom and dad are sleeping. Many of your parents or loved ones, they're sleeping right now. That's the term that is used because there is going to be an awakening. The arpazo, the rapturo, the snatching, the taking. 
they will awake from their deep, deep sleep. Yes, in spirit they are with the Lord now, but their bodies are sleeping in various ways and will be assembled again and resurrected again. But the word in 1 Thessalonians 5, when he says, therefore let us not sleep, is another word. It's not koimao, it's kathudo. It's a totally different word, and it's a word that means to be sober versus being drunk. It's a word that means being alert versus being lethargic. It's a word that references being watchful versus not being watchful. And he says, we are people of the day, therefore let us be alert. We are believers. We have a new day coming. I love Charles Ryrie's book on biblical prophecy, the title, The Best is Yet to Come. (laughs) I love that title. People that are awake realize this. There's a spiritual alertness to them. And that's why today's message is called The Alert Church. And as Mark Carey wanted a series of messages on what makes a strong church, and John has been dealing with the issues of unity and usages of spiritual gifts, and Mark has been addressing putting others' interests above our own, this passage teaches us that a strong church is an alert church, but it's more than just the fact that they know all the details of biblical prophecy is that the details of biblical prophecy cause them to love. It causes them to love. There is nothing anymore in the book of Revelation that now seems impossible to me. When COVID-19 hit, it seemed like overnight the world was paralyzed. It was global, like in a moment. And I was reminded at that very time of all the global aspects of the day of the Lord as outlined in the book of Revelation, how quickly things can happen. And Scripture speaks of the pestilences, the wars, the rumors of wars, the massive killing, the natural phenomenon that take place in a very, well, it's on steroids, the earthquakes and all of the factors that we experience to a degree now, but not to the degree that it will be then. How quickly an economy can crash. Revelation tells us that a loaf of bread is going to cost lots and lots and lots of money in the tribulation period. And our 401ks and 403bs and our stock market, we saw how volatile, how vulnerable, how undependent it is. The Apostle Paul says, do not put your hope in the uncertainty of riches. Nothing in Revelation is a stretch. But the question we have to ask, are we an alert church? Am I an alert Christian? Am I awake? Am I not one who sleeps? And so what I'd like to focus our attention in the remaining part of this message is what the Apostle Paul outlines as some of the specifics that are characteristics of an alert people, of alert believers, believers that believe in the coming of the Lord and are prepared for it and desire to live their lives in light of it. 
Now again, before we go there, I want to share with you a warning about two different ditches that Christians can fall into and get off the biblical path. One ditch is to say, you know, Bible prophecy is interesting to some people, but I'm not one of them, and I believe Jesus is coming back, but I don't really care about the details. Well, the question has to be then answered is, all the details that are in the Bible, which is about one-fourth of the scriptures, will then have to be neglected, and I don't think that that's a real good idea. Especially when God puts that type of an amount of material for his people to know about the future. I give an analogy to some people. Think of a father and mother, they're in their living room, they call the kids to the to the sofa and they say kids we want to tell you something it's january now it's cold outside but we want you to know that in july we're going to go on a vacation and it's going to be a lot of fun and you're really going to like it and they say okay and they go back to their rooms or in contrast what if the parents do this kids come over here we want to tell you something we're going to go on a vacation this summer it's going to be a lot of fun you're really going to like it. Have you ever heard of Orlando, Florida? Well, that's where we're going. And we're going to go to a place called Disney World. And you wouldn't believe the things that they have there. They have rides there, and they have characters there that you've watched. They've had Mickey Mouse and all the others. And, and then we're going to stay in this beautiful hotel and it has a lovely, large swimming pool. And we're going to be eating at this restaurant in the hotel in fact, let us show you some pictures. We bought a book. And you bring out the book and you show them the pictures of what they're going to see and their eyes get big and their anticipation builds. And now, January to July, they can't wait. Because the anticipation is based upon the details. That's what's important for us to know the details of what Scripture teaches about something much, much greater than Disney World. To be with the Lord and to be with each other forever. The other ditch are people that not only get into the details, but they get into speculations. They get into things that aren't in the Bible. They start reading ancient writings of the past that God has not included in his scriptures, and they use those as the basis for this and for that. And they also tend to speak that they are ones with superior knowledge than the rest of us. They have scientific backgrounds, they have academic credentials that the average Joe doesn't have, and therefore we need to listen as they outline things that we have never heard of about the core of the earth and the dimensions issues and all kinds of things, and it captivates. But it takes us away because the Paul says this. Paul said the goal of our instruction is love. And he speaks about those who tend to be teachers but do not know what they're talking about. The middle road is to study the issues of biblical prophecy, but make sure that they're biblically based. They're not going into fantasies, but they're also not going into neglect. Because eschatology taught well, the doctrine of last things, things about the future in the Bible, are more than academic charts and timelines. Yes, I use them myself. 
But that's not the end goal. The end goal is to be an alert people. And an alert people will love. Notice what Paul says. Verse 8, let us not be those who are of the day. Be sober. Or let us who are of the day be sober. Putting on the breastplate of faith and love. And as a helmet, the hope of deliverance the deliverance of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us not be ones who sleep. Let us not be ones who become spiritually lethargic and get fully engrossed in the things of the here and now and what we can see. Faith, hope, and love are all mentioned here. Faith is believing that it's actually going to happen. When you step outside after the service, take a look, and if there's clouds, realize that there is going to be a day that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to descend to those clouds. He's going to keep himself veiled from the world by clouds, by the way. That's the purpose of the clouds. And when we bust through those clouds, we will see him face to face. Faith believes that to be true. Faith accepts that as fact. And as we learn of this, that we believe it, that we accept it as fact, that we believe it, we are in faith, which then leads us to hope and to love. And how is this hope and love demonstrated by God's people? When these things are taught well, it will lead us into four significant results. First of all, it will bring hope to the lonely. I'm sure there are people in this room right now that miss loved ones especially when you have lost a child or a spouse. You miss them very much. The widows and the widowers that I have talked to at our church, but also in previous ministries that God has called us to, said that Sunday afternoons are the hardest part of the week, to walk in the door after church. That tends to be the time that they miss their sweetheart the most. To live life in loneliness, when you miss the ones who have gone before us. But Paul says, because of the coming of the Lord, we do sorrow. And we must never underestimate people's sorrow. We must let them cry. Jesus wept at a funeral of a very close friend. But he says we sorrow, but not like those who have no hope. Because the hope is the snatching, the taking away, and the restoration and the reuniting to the Lord Jesus Christ and to one another. Each day that goes by that you miss somebody that has gone to be with the Lord before us, I'd like to ask you today to ask God to help you with something. Each day that goes on, you may think that you are now another day farther away from that person. It's another day of separation. But for the believer, every day is a step and a day closer to being with them. Tomorrow morning is a day closer than today of being reunited with the ones that you love who have died in Christ as believers and to see the Lord. 
Revelation 21 says there will be no more sorrow. Prophecy taught well and eschatology taught well also not only brings hope to the lonely, but it urges reconciliation to the divided. James says in chapter 5, the judge is standing at the door. Quit grumbling against one another. Rectify your conflict. Reconcile your, your relationships, whether it's in the home or whether it's with other Christians. Do we have the humility to say, I'm sorry? Even if we know the other party has guilt as well, that we own up to our own? Do we have the desire to have unity that we have been discussing these last weeks to the degree that we will pay the price for it to happen? To go to other believers in Christ that we may have had conflict with and seek to to be listeners rather than speakers and to be ones that want to understand rather than being ones who want to be understood? Alert people do that. Watchful people keep short accounts. The Apostle Paul says in our remaining verses that we will be speak, or that I am basic, basing these principles on, be at peace with one another. Alert people do that. Alert people seek to reconcile. Whether it's a spouse, whether it's a family member, but certainly also in the body of Christ at large. It brings hope to the lonely and urges reconciliation to the divided, but it announces a wake-up call to the lethargic. Alert people love people. And Paul outlines in the remaining verses of this book, this is how you love. You love by comforting one another. You come alongside of people that are hurting People that are experiencing loss of loved ones, loss of jobs. People that are experiencing bouts with depression. People that are experiencing difficult days. You come alongside and you take their arm and wrap it around your shoulder. And the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians, we uphold. We uphold one another those that are weak, those that are suffering. We edify each other. We encourage each other. We call each other. We write notes of encouragement to each other. He says, pray without ceasing. We pray for one another. Robert Chapman said, my business is to love others, not to seek that others love me. We pursue people. We don't wait to be pursued. We go to one another, come alongside of one another, get involved in each other's lives, and we, we walk and uphold one another as we face the difficulties and trials of life. That's what alert people do. That's what loving people do. I can't tell you how much this principle has meant to me and to my wife, Patty. The last two years since our daughter was diagnosed, we have had countless times of coming on a Sunday morning to church not really upbeat in our hearts, only to leave and drive out of the parking lot encouraged 
and almost always it's been by a person unexpectedly that comes up to us and says three words, we are praying. So Patty and I have been recipients of that and how it has lifted our spirits. And so we have decided that that's something we are paying forward. And we pray for you. I pray every day for Dan Tower, he's sitting right here. As he's has health encounters right now. And I pray for a guy named Mark Wilson every day. And I, I just know how much it means. We are praying. That's what alert people do. That's what loving people do. It brings hope to the lonely and reconciliation to the divided and alertness to the lethargic. And it brings fear to the rebellious. It's not wrong to go to people who are believers in Christ, who are defiant and wandering away from the things of God, to remind them, He's coming. He's coming. He really is. He's coming. It's not too late to get back in fellowship with him. Alert people. Biblical prophecy, when rightly taught and when rightly believed, changes lives. It makes a church, an alert church. It makes a church a church of love, of faith, and hope. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this time we could share together. And I pray that we will leave today having grown in faith, grown in love, and strapping upon our minds the hope of deliverance as we wait for your Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, and his coming. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.